Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study on Sunday mornings for those who could not be with us, but also for those who want to be in God's Word, but of course they're not in our area, and so but they still want to study. They still want to learn the Bible. So we're thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the internet and by means of these podcasts so that wherever people are that where the internet is available, they can study God's word with us. We encourage you to tell people and share these studies with them through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But tell them, tell them they can go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. When they sign up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or, or computer or whatever smart device they choose, they will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and they will receive a week, well, a five-day-a-week radio program called Search the Scriptures and a daily short Bible study that we call today's Bible class. It's only about 13 or 14 minutes each day, but it's seven days a week keeping us in God's Word. And since and since faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, the more people get into God's word and stay in God's word, the stronger their faith should become and remain. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of it yourself. We're going to get back into our study in the book of Judges. The book of Judges. We have been working our way through the early history of the nation of Israel. And we, well, we actually began with the creation account itself in, Je- in Genesis chapter 1, and then we began moving through the book of Genesis and saw how God started to plan for the Savior to come into the world through the bloodline of Abraham, which through Isaac, his son, and then Jacob, his son, and then Jacob's 12 sons, the nation of Israel came forth. And so God prepared that nation, that those peoples, the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons to become, to grow into the nation of Israel. And from that bloodline, God would send his son, Jesus, into this world as the savior of mankind. Now, many, many prophecies were made through the Old Testament scriptures of the coming savior. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all of those. But we kind of looking at it from our perspective backwards, we might say what a glorious, what a glorious blessing that was for Israel that, that God chose their people, their bloodline, through whom to send the Savior into the world. But they rejected the Savior for the most part. The vast, vast majority of the Israelites, who became known better probably as Jews, they rejected Jesus. They did not, he was not the Savior they were wanting. And so they did not believe in him and they did not follow him. Now, how sad that is. But also we see the problems that Israel had, the people of Israel had for generations, hundreds and hundreds of years. They, they struggled with difficulty remaining faithful to God. And we might think about that from the perspective of, of the world right now in the day in which we live. How many people would say, well, I believe in God, but they don't really follow God you know, obediently. 
in a dedicated, committed fashion on a consistent basis, but they'll say they believe in God, but they go off into all kinds of worldly lifestyles, all kinds of sinful practices and, and behaviors, but they say they believe in God. Well, just believing in God without being dedicated and committed and obedient to God is not going to get it. So we can see some parallels there. Now, when we come to the book of Judges, God has led the people to the promised land, and through the leadership of Joshua, God has defeated their enemies and allowed them to take possession of the promised land. But they did not quite follow through all the way pertaining to God's instructions to either destroy all the people who lived in those in the promised land and there were there were numerous different groups that lived there or else drive them out completely God said you don't you don't enter into relationships with them and particularly you do not enter into marriage relationships with them because all of those people are idol worshipers they worship statues and images and carvings and so on they don't believe in, in, in me, and, and so you start entering into relationships with them, they're going to become a thorn in your side. They're going to start influencing you to worship their idols and turn away from me. Well, so they almost completely obeyed God's instruction to either destroy or drive out all those peoples, but as the years went on and, and the battles became numerous, they and again, God gave them victory after victory after victory. We might say they got tired of war. Uh, Joshua got old and died. And as, as, as it stood, even though they had allowed a few of the peoples of the land to stay there in, in groups, then they pretty much had them under subjection. They controlled the land. That is, the Israelites controlled the land. And so they basically put those people under subjection. But as the years went on, those peoples grew, grew more numerous in their populations, and they began to work into relationships with the Israelites. And you understand the rest of the story, don't you? The Israelites became less and less faithful to God and took up more and more practices of idol worship. And then when we come into the book of Judges, we read in Judges chapter 2 that it seems to have taken only about maybe one or two generations, so we're only talking about 30 to 60 years or so, before the people who outlived Joshua, then the next generation came up or another generation came up, and it says, who did not know God nor his mighty works, and so on. And so they became unfaithful, largely, and they started worshiping idols. And so it was like a revolving door or a seesaw, you know, a teeter-totter. They were up and down, up and down. They would have periods of, of uh, kind of renewal and, and where they become more faithful to God, but then that would be followed after a period of 20 or 30 years, or maybe 40 in some cases, they'd go back into the worship of idols. And then God would raise up an enemy against them or allow one of their enemies to, to defeat them in, in battle and put them under subjection. And then they would repent and God would raise up a judge. There were no, you know, Israel did not have a, an overruling king at that time and would not for hundreds of years, but God would raise up leaders that would be referred to as judges, and they would lead the people in, uh, 
in battle against whoever those peoples were that had defeated them in battle and put them under subjection. And so God would deliver them and give them independence again. Now, that would go back and forth, on and on, numerous times. So we're in Judges chapter chapter. 11, and we're, we're in the early period of the judges, but we've already seen where we're talking about judge after judge coming along, and Israel, the people of Israel, keep going back to the worship of idols, and then they will repent, and they will, they will turn to God and ask for deliverance and prayer, and God will raise up a deliverer, a, another judge, and so on. And then they, that, they would stay faithful to God for a while, then they go back into the worship of idols. And the whole process would begin over and over again. You'd go round and round. So in chapter 11, we find another of the judges, and this man is named Jephthah. Jephthah. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Jeph- Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And so you understand the situation. Jephthah is born to the same father as all of these other brothers, but he is born by another woman, and she is identified as being a harlot. And so when all of his siblings grow up, all of his brothers grow up, they drive Jephthah out. Because they say, you know, basically you're illegitimate to an, to an extent at least. And so verse 3 says, Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a period of time, the people of Ammon made war against Israel. Now this again isn't the first time Israel's had problems with the Ammonites and had to do battle with them. Uh, This is just the latest instance of that. And so here Ammon rises up again and makes war against, against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. Now, isn't, isn't that rather, uh, doesn't it sound rather surface level, rather fickle on the part of the people of Gilead? Now, you know, first, you know, Jephthah's family drove him out, and now, apparently, the Gileadites, they, they come to recognize, they've heard of Jephthah's, you know, what he's been doing. He's got this band of men with him and so on. And, and apparently they, they recognize, and verse 1 says he was a mighty man of valor. So they go, go to him, and they want to bring him back. And they say, look, come be our leader. Come be our leader. Um, and, and the way they put it, come be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So come lead us in battle against our oppressors. Now, what's the response of Jephthah here, initially at least? Verse 7, so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? Well, so he's, he's got legitimate questions for them. You didn't want me before. You drove me out. Why do you want me to come back? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, 
that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, what we're seeing here in these various battles and wars and conflicts between Israel's neighbors is that foreign peoples would come and do battle with portions of the of, of the land of Israel, some of the tribes, and they would defeat them and put them in subjection. And then, you know, they, those tribes, we don't see a tremendous unity among the, among the tribes of Israel so that all the people are together. But we see, you know, again, sections going in, uh, getting into conflicts, you know, different sections at different times. Now, so the elders of Gilead, they want Jephthah to come back. They want him to be their commander. We have come, why, why have you, and he says, why have you come to me now? Now when you're in distress, now you want me to come back. You didn't want me before when things seemed to be going okay for you. And so they say, no, come on back that, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us. If we do not do according to your words, God's going to be our witness. God's going to over, you know, watch over us and hold us responsible if we do not do according to your words. We want you to come back and lead us in battle against the Ammonites, and we will make you our head. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made, made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in, in Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me, that you have come to fight against me and in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the, from the Arnon as far as the Jebek and to the Jordan, now therefore restore those, those lands peaceably. So the people of Ammon are saying, well, Israel came up and they possessed some of our land. Give that land back to us and, uh, you know, we can have peace and not war. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of Ammon, to the king of the people of Ammon, and said to them, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. So he says, uh, the people of Israel did not, did not do what you're saying here. And so what's he talking about? So the people of, of Israel did not, did not uh, take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through, through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they would not, they would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the, the land of Edom and the land of Moab 
or in the land of Moab, came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of Arnon, but they did not enter the border of Moab, for the, for, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of, Hesh, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated, they defeated them. Thus Israel gathered possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They, they, they took possession of all, all of Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? So he says, look, you're asking. And what it sounds like is the, Am- the Ammonites were asking for possession of land that had not been theirs to begin with, but that Israel had taken in battle by God's blessings and victory over people who had come against them in battle, would not even let them pass through their land. And they just wanted to pass through on their way to the promised land. So they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and, the, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? You want us to give land to you that was not yours to begin with, in other words? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? You're, you're worshiping an idol. Well, what's he going to give you? Of course, an idol is nothing. So whatever the Lord, our God, takes possession of before us, we will possess. And so, so you know, when we're talking about um, Jephthah, he, he's not backing down from the Ammonites. He says, what God has given us, we will possess. We're not going to give it to you. In verse 25, and now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages in Aror, and, it, and, and its villages and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon, for 300 years, why did they not recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you, have, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. Well, verse 29. Yeah, so Jephthah's trying to He's trying to negotiate here, but the king of Ammon is not having it. So, verse 29, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, 
if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced forward, or rather advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Aror, as far as as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel, Kiramim, with very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So God gave Gilead, the people of Israel, and Jephthah, the leader of the people, uh, that, that were following him at this particular time, gave them victory over the Ammonites. Now, verse 34 goes on. Now, remember the vow that, that Jephthah had made to God. If you'll, if you'll deliver the Ammonites into my hand in battle, give, me, give us victory, then whatever comes out of my house when I go back home in peace, I will offer as a sacrifice to you. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Now, he did not expect his daughter to be the first one coming out of his house, and I'm not sure that that's what God expected of him. Well, certainly God, God did not ever tolerate human sacrifice. And so, you know, Jephthah was thinking some animal, you know, or something would come out. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot, back, I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you and your enemies, or of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done to me, let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends, and, and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried, her, he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Now, I don't believe we're to think that Jephthah offered her as a human sacrifice, but apparently he sacrificed her independence to the point that she would never be married and that she would remain a virgin for the rest of her life. And in that way, he fulfilled his, his vow to God. That's the way it would seem to indicate from the, text of the, uh, from, from the text of that particular scripture text. So you need to always be careful when you make a statement, and especially maybe if you're making that statement kind of off the cuff or just out of pure emotion, we need to, we need to stop and realize that words have meaning and words also bring responsibility. So we need to stop and think and make sure our brain's in gear 
before our mouth starts moving. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. But Jephthah, another successful judge for the people of Israel during a period of hundreds of years when God found it necessary to continue to raise up judges to beat off the oppressors of his people, the Israelites, after he had allowed, in some cases, those oppressors to put them in subjection because of the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. It took the Israelites hundreds and hundreds of years to finally learn their lesson that faithfulness to God is to be an ongoing thing, to be a continuing lifestyle, not for a year or two, but for all of our life. We have a responsibility to live righteously and obediently before God all of our life on a daily basis. And we need to be careful that we don't become careless and kind of happenstance in our dedication and commitment to God. God wants us to walk with him every day, every day. And he has rewards for us. He has blessings waiting for us. If we will, so do. We can learn so much from the history of Israel in the Old Testament scriptures, both from the times of their faithfulness, but also from the times of their unfaithfulness. We need to learn and not make the same mistakes ourselves. We'll stop here. We'll pick up with chapter 12 next time. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your word to guide us in your will and to show us dangers that the devil will continue to throw at us, often through other people on an ongoing basis. Help us to be wise. Help us to keep our eyes open and help us to be strong in our faith and dedication to you, Father, and help us to recognize always that faithfulness to you is not just words, not just statements, but it is a lifestyle. Guide us and help us and strengthen us to live that faithful lifestyle before you always, Father. Please, we pray. Please forgive us and hear a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>